Blog Talk Radio. the veil of what is seen, the natural eye, a great event is being prepared. A war and a wedding feast will have their place in time. Soon and not yet is the word that the watchman gives as he strains his eyes through the darkness of the night mist. He can sense that just beyond the horizon, a great brightness is preparing to break forth. Arise, you sleepers. Shake off your slumber, he calls. Come and fill your lamp with fresh oil. Trim your wick. Cry out in the streets and do not let your voice be silent. For the coming of the great king is at hand. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Only wait for the Lord. Be strong and have a good courage. And wait for the Lord. Oh, the fear in your streets tonight. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, mighty Lord. We thank you, Holy Jesus. We thank you, Holy God, for your love, your mercy, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, that endures forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. Shalom, shalom, my brother, my sister. Welcome to the Lord's Tower. Praise you, Lord. I hope everyone uh, continue to repent in our seeking the Lord, getting ready to go home with Jesus. Praise the Lord, asking the Lord to prepare your life. Thank you, Jesus, every day more. It's where we need to be, brothers and sisters, seeking the Lord, just seeking the Lord, seeking God, seeking the Lord to help us in our walk, in our keeping his commandment, hallelujah, in, in walking, praise the Lord, the weight of the Lord. Thank you for that, brother. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Because only the Lord can help us, brothers and sisters. Only the Lord can help us to walk his way and to keep his commandment. He told his disciples in John 15, 4, without me, there's nothing ye can do. And as long as we understand that fully, and we'll continue to ask the Lord to help us. He will always help us to continue to walk the walk, brothers and sisters. The Lord knows how hard, how difficult it is, but the Lord will help us. Thank you, Lord. I hope everyone can hear me clear. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If I sound too low, let me know. Thank you, Jesus. I may do some more adjustment. Adjusting. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, send 900 trillion warriors, angel, Lord, to keep the forces of the evil, pet of hell, Lord Jesus, and from the from the heavenly places and from earth, Lord Jesus. Lord, just to keep, keep them from blocking your people, Lord, to log in tonight, Lord, and listen to your message, your word, to the minister, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord, Lord, send 900 trillion warriors, angel, more, Lord. To fight, Lord, for north to south, east to west, up and down. In Jesus' name, just your name. Jehoshua, Lord, help my brothers and sisters, Lord, to log in and listen, Lord, and be ministered by you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. Brothers and sisters, we got it, God. We got to have hope in the Lord. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, and you shall have hope. Hope in the Lord. The Lord will give us hope. The Lord will give us strength for us, brothers and sisters, hallelujah, to have hope in him. Praise the Lord. He will give you his strength. He will strengthen you and I so we would have hope in him. It is easy to lose hope if you are not seeking the Lord continuously. You will, you will lose hope. This is why we need to Brothers and sisters, seek the Lord continuously, be in repentance, because the Lord will strengthen us in the midst of anything we might go through. Praise the Lord. One of the key to the enemy attack in our life is unforgiveness. Brothers and sisters, if the enemy is attacking your life, if attacking you with oppression, depression, or anything, Immediately search, search your heart and say, Lord, I am willing to forgive anyone, Lord, that I may have to, that I may have unforgiveness toward, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, I repent, Lord, 
of all unforgiveness in my heart, in my life, in my generational life, from my father, my mother, lying from first, third, second, uh, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generation back to Adam and Eve, I repent. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry I repent. I repent in Jesus' name for all unforgiveness in my heart, in my life, Jesus. Lord, curse our unforgiveness in my generational life. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus. Seal the door with your blood, your, your holy blood, and your Holy Spirit, and your holy presence in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And when you pray, I have done this with people over the phone who have been under severe attack. And I had, I had asked them, do you have any unforgiveness? I done this with pastors, brothers and sisters, with ministers. I said, do you have any unforgiveness in your heart or anyone? And um, they say, no, not that I remember. And I said, all right, let, let, just, just pray with me now and say, Lord, Lord, I, I forgive anyone, Lord, that I may have unforgiveness in my heart, Lord. If you cannot remember the person's name, Praise the Lord. Just say, Lord, any unforgiveness to anyone, Lord. And if the Lord gives you someone names, immediately name that person and say, Lord, any unforgiveness to this person, Lord, I'm sorry. I am sorry, Lord, for holding this unforgiveness in my heart to this person. I forgive this person. And when you do that, you get released from the attack immediately. People have felt the anointing coming through right away and being released instantly. And they said, Brother Harvey, my goodness, this is, this is so powerful. How do you learn this? The Lord. Anything, everything I know has come from the, directly from the Lord, brothers and sisters. And there's so much things over the years the Lord has taught me, brothers and sisters, that are powerful, that are very anointed, and they'll release you in a second from the attack of the enemy. Because every time I, I got attacked, I asked the Lord, the Lord said, I'm forgive me. For, forgive this person. And I will do it. Boom, the attack is gone. The demon is gone. The devil is gone. Whatever, whatever, whatever demon, whatever principality is coming in against my life, one way or the other or another one, because the Lord had revealed to me that we are responsible for our choices. And if we make choices of sin, we are responsible. When Adam and Eve make the choice to sin in the garden because God gave them two choices in the garden. One of the choices was to be obedient and not to eat from the, from, from the tree, praise the Lord. And, and they should have said, when the devil tempted them to eat from the tree, they should have said, no. God has said, no, we're not going to eat it, and we walk away. They should have walked away, and if the devil would have tried to attack them, they, they could not, because the Lord was right there next to them. <laughs> it was like the question I asked the Lord. I heard a lot of stories that God was on vacation one day, and the devil decided to take over, sit on his chair, sit on his throne when God was, was away on vacation. It's a, a story that I heard when I was young. And I asked the Lord one day, and the Lord, I said, Lord, where were you when Satan did all this? And the Lord says, I was where well, I always been in my throne, sitting in my throne. So the Lord was right there when Satan did what he did. And the Lord saw, watched him do it. The Lord did not stop him because when you are going to make a choice, a decision, God is not going to stop you. God tells you before you make your choice, before you make your decision, God tells you the best decision you can make. And it says, ways. His ways is the right way. Praise the Lord. 
Why do you think Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father? Because he's always right. Why did he throw his disciples and throw them there to the right? Because he's always right. He's always right. He teaches us the right things to do, brothers and sisters. He always teaches us the right things to do. Praise your Lord. So we always got to choose God's way. God's way is the best way for us, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. So when you make a poor decision to do something or to have or, or to get allow hatred to come into your heart and your life against someone, when you make that decision, the devil will accuse you. He's the accuser in Revelation 12. He is the accuser of the brethren. He will accuse you, brothers and sisters, you and I. And when he accuses us, when he accuses us, he doesn't accuse us with lies. The devil is the father of all lies, but he cannot lie to God. He can lie to people, but he cannot lie to God. You understand? He will lie to everybody else, but not God. Thank you, Jesus. So he knows that if he has to come to the Lord to accuse us as he did with Job, he must come with the truth, or God will rebuke him in punishment, or and punish him. So he doesn't come with lie to God. He comes to lie to men. So when he comes to God to accuse you and I, I've seen them twice or more now, accusing us. And when they accuse us, our enemy, brothers and sisters, they accuse us with the truth, with the fact. That's why they have a demon watching us always. So when we commit a sin, if we are not quite to repent, they will accuse us and they will attack us. Mostly they, they are allowed to attack us if we don't repent, if we don't take responsibility for our sin. Brothers and sisters, very important. When David decided to sin with that woman, not only did he lose a child, but God told him that the sword will be in his house. And we saw how his brother came against his sister, and it was a total division in David's house. The consequence of sin. I have brought this teaching in other occasions. Consequences of sin. There's always consequence for sin, brothers and sisters. But when we repent, praise the Lord, we overcome always in Christ Jesus. You and I will always overcome when we repent. That's why we are taught to repent and repent always. Pray without ceasing is repenting always, is praying always, always seeking God no matter what the situation is. The problem with people is that when they seek God, praise the Lord, when they saw God's faith was when everything was great. But when things turn, hallelujah, in a, in a, in a way they did not appreciate, they immediately start begin to lose their hope in God. They or they turn away from God and they say, I don't know, but it's not it's something is not right. Praise the Lord. God had just forsaken me. God just abandoned. Look what happened in my family. And God will allow things in our life for us to be tested. But it's up to us to turn to God. And always when you turn to God, your victory is assured a hundred percent and more. God will always give you the victory. And no matter what, before you go into the test, you already got the victory. And Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. The victory is us. It's ours. Thank you, Lord. So hope, hoping in the Lord, always having your hope in the Lord, no matter what, brothers and sisters. Uh, Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eyes of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Thank you, Lord. No matter what you go through, learn to have hope in God's mercy. 
know that God's mercy has greater sufficient. God will never leave you, neither forsake you. He will never give up on you. Lots of people give up on God, but God doesn't give up on anyone. He will work in your life to the moment you die. He will be working in you. And if you die in hope, he has you in the palm of his hand. The devil cannot touch you. You, you, you die, you come out of your body, there's the Lord with you. You go home with the Lord, with Jesus. My father, when he died in the hospital, my father's liver got destroyed because of drinking alcohol. Well, God gave him a week to repent in the hospital after he got hospitalized because his liver got destroyed. My father cried out to God in that bed, in the hospital, brothers and sisters, in, the seven, in, the, in 79, 1979. My father cried out to the Lord and desperate for his mercy. Hallelujah. And what is, what is Psalm 33, 18? Says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy. The eyes of the Lord were immediately upon my father. My father began to repent. The Lord spoke to my father after he, the Lord forgave him and saying, go for the elder of the church to come and pray over you. Praise the Lord. And it was mostly for, for, for my father to testify to them of God's mercy. Praise the Lord, because we will testify of his mercy, his word says. And so when the elder came, he told the elder, I want to reconcile my life with the Lord. I already have done this, but I need, God wanted him to do it among the brethren. Why? Because he might have offended some of them. This is very important, brothers and sisters. If we want our father to forgive our offenses, we need to forgive others' offenses too, brothers and sisters. It's in the word of God. Thank you, Jesus. And so they came. My father apologized and repented to them. Apologize for offending them. They prayed with my father. And Jesus took my father's home with him. Praise you, Lord. And I saw my father in heaven working for Jesus, doing his task in heaven for the Lord. Very obedient to the Lord he is. He had a heart after God's heart, I say, because he will always give. My father was a giver. And he was always a great example of giving. And God always blesses him for that. And I, I, was, I, I was born in, 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 in a house where I saw my father a giver to the poor, a blesser to others, and God would always bless him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for that great example to my life. There's no way that I could forget how my father walked with God. Thank you, Jesus. But he died in the arm of Jesus and was taken home by the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. And so the... My father hope was upon his mercy. Upon them that hope in his mercy. He hoped on God's mercy. And God took my father home with him, Jesus. And I saw my father in heaven with a great joy. And we gave each other a hug. And he was very pleased that I'm walking with the Lord. Because at the end of the day, that's what's important. That we are hoping on his mercy. That we are hoping, we, we are trusting the Lord. We are walking under his fear. The eyes of the Lord is upon them that fear him. As long as you and I are walking under his fear, the eyes of the Lord is upon you and I. And hoping at his mercy. Hoping at his mercy. When you're repenting, you know you have broken his commandment. You know you have failed God one way or another. And you are repenting because you know his mercy are available for you and I. Brothers and sisters. You know that. 
You know his mercy endures forever. So you're crying out to God for his help. You're crying out to Jesus to help us every day. And the eyes of the Lord is upon us, the word of God says. Brother, brother and my sister, when the eyes of the Lord is upon us, it don't matter what our enemies are planning because God is already watching us. You want to have the eyes of the Lord upon your life. I am telling you this. This is very important because the eyes of the Lord upon your life, it is not to judge you, but it's actually to protect you, to deliver you, to be with you. You are so interested to God that his eyes are upon you. In other words, you are so interested. Your life is so interested to God that his eyes are upon your life. You please him. The way you walk, his eyes are upon you. You fear him. You have, you have hope upon his mercy. His eyes are on you. Isn't that great, brothers and sisters? Praise you, Lord. My father failed the Lord when he went drinking, ended up in the bar, backsliding. But the eyes of the Lord was upon my father. Because my father, although he was struggling and he made this great mistake, he feared the Lord. And he have faith upon, he hope upon, upon the Lord's mercy on his own life. And the Lord, the Lord will never fail you. Brothers and sisters, I am surprised how people can treat God like they treat other people. I'll give you an example. Please listen careful. Praise you, Lord. We know that people foul us. They will fail us. They will forsake, they will even forsake us, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord. And I don't know how can people think of this of the Lord. How can people compare other human beings with God Almighty, with Jesus Christ, and think that because people fail other people, your government fail you, company fail you, your boss fail you, your family fail you, God is going to fail you, and that is not possible. God is not a man that he will lie, or the son of man that he will repent, brothers and sisters. His word says, praise the Lord. Never compare God to men. The majority of people does this, brothers and sisters, compare God to men. You hear them talking about God. I don't know. They open the Bible with doubt. They read the Bible with doubt. I was sharing with my sister last night on the phone. I said, before we open the Bible, we should repent of all doubt and unbelief. A lot of people read the Bible like reading any book out there. That is wrong. That is totally wrong. First of all, the Bible started that God created the heaven and the earth and everything. When God created the, earth, the heaven and the earth, hallelujah, darkness was upon the earth. Praise the Lord. God created the heaven and the earth, and revelation ends. And the bride and the spirit says, come, Lord, come. Thank you, Jesus. He knew what he made in the beginning. He knew that man will fail. That's why Jesus has to come. He is the Alpha, and he is the Omega. He is the beginning, but he's also the end, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. He has the answer. He created all this, so he has the answer for it. No one else does but Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. In the beginning, he was with God. In the beginning, he was with God. 
all things were made through him. Without him, nothing nothing that we see today was made. Everything was made through him. He is the answer to all of our questions and all of our needs, brothers and sisters. Physical needs, spiritual needs, and every other need you and I may have, he is the answer for it. Thank you, Jesus. People compare the Lord to men. They compare God to men. So when they open up the Bible, they begin to question what is in that word. I, I hear people say, well, this, you know, this, word, this Bible was written by men, they say. It made sense that God used a man and not a monkey. I think I would have more question than God would have used a monkey to, to write his word. But then I will say, God can use anything or anyone. Because I believe God. Thank you, Lord. You know, when you believe God, you will deliver yourself from so much doubt and unbelief, so much pain in your own life, brothers and sisters. When you begin to doubt God, you have begun to doubt as existing itself or creation, and everything becomes painful and confusing to your own life. Your soul began to be shaken because Jesus Christ is a foundation on which any, everyone who hopes in him will have a solid foundation. But if you doubt your own foundation, your life will be shaken. Will be shaky and shaken, brothers and sisters. Confusion you are allowing when you doubt God's word. You need, you need to set up in your mind. You need to believe in your heart and mind and your life entirely that the word of God is the truth. That Jesus Christ is the truth and that Jesus Christ is that word. And don't doubt it for one second. Don't doubt it for one second. Because a lot of people, a lot of the questions they have are questions out of doubt and unbelief, not out of faith. Every time someone writes to me asking me a question out of the word of God, I can discern their unbelievable doubt. And what I say to some of the people that's shaking them a little is do you believe the word of God? Do you believe the Bible? And so people will say, okay, so what is your question? And, in, and immediately they'll be enlightened in their mind like, I'm not believing, I'm doubting. That's exactly what the majority of people do. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. It's not that people don't believe the coming of Jesus. It's that they don't believe in the word of God. And they're doubting his word, brothers and sisters. That's what it is. They're doubting God's word. And so when they have the Bible in their hand, if they doubt God's word, how will they be blessed? When doubt is a war, it's a blockage in their own life. And they don't let them receive what God has for them through his word. The knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding, the revelation he has for them. They could receive that all if they just would believe. That's how everyone that came to Jesus, they saw him. Praise the Lord. But Jesus said, do you believe? Let it be done according to thy faith. Praise the Lord. The word of God is true. And it will always be, will always be true. And it's always been true. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But if you're going to read the Bible and you're not going to believe it, you have a problem. You have a sickness. You need to be healed. You need to be healed. Praise the Lord. 
Praise you, God. A lot of people say pray. I pray with what? Without faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, Hebrew 11, 6. So imagine someone coming to God, praying for over 10 years like me, but not believing. How much will you accomplish if you don't believe? But how much can you accomplish by faith? You can accomplish so much by faith. But without unbelief, you accomplish nothing. You accomplish nothing without unbelief. A waste of time. It's like I said to the people over the years through this program, you can spend in power and unbelief 40, 50 years, 70 years, 80 years of your life without help you in any way, without help you to get to heaven, because you need to believe to get to heaven. To get to heaven, you need to believe. Praise you, Lord. You need to believe. You need to trust God. That's faith. That's believing in God. You need to have faith. So you have to make a decision that you are going to believe God tonight and only God in his word, that you are not going to doubt his word for one second, that you're making a commitment to believe him in his word and know that his word is true, that you're not going to doubt his word. Thank you, Jesus. It is okay for you to doubt everything else but God or his word. It is okay because the word of God says to us, be ye not deceived. If you, praise the Lord, if you doubt everything else, you need to verify. Praise the Lord. But not walk with doubt ever. Because I noticed that when we do everything by faith, we are blessed by it. If you study the word of God by faith, and even if you if you share with people by faith, you will always be blessed. Always be blessed. Everything you do by faith, you will be blessed. But everything you do in doubt, there's no benefit from doubting. Praise the Lord. I was speaking with someone years ago, and I said, "What? why is that the word says if? If? We, we we were looking we were going over the word and there was there's a lot of part in, in the King James Bible. I don't know if you've seen this. Praise the Lord. But you got the word F. Thank you, Lord. Let me see how many praise the Lord F we have. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the or or maybe maybe I believe it was another one that we look up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let me see. Praise the Lord. If praise the Lord, I forget what the what is the word. Okay, you got one. If my people, uh, you got the word like in Second Chronicle. If my people who are called by my name, uh, if they apply, yea or nay, yes. Uh, if apply, they are in Second Chronicle, brothers and sisters. It applies to God giving us a choice. Praise the Lord. Not a choice to doubt, because that's how some people may, may, may miss to understand. Hallelujah. They think that if my people, like a doubt, that's not a doubt there. God is not telling us that, he, that God is doubting us, but God is actually giving us a choice, which is different. If my people who are called by my name should humble themselves and pray, Thank you, Lord. It's God giving us a choice. It's like when he gave Adam and Eve in the garden the choice to choose. 
whether to obey, not to eat from the tree. Praise the Lord. Because eating from the tree represented the devil, disobedience. It represented disobedience. That's why the devil was there. Because if, if, if they would disobey, because they had a choice, the devil was there because the, the, there was no way for the devil to get a hold of this earth unless Adam and Eve chose to, to disobey. Brothers and sisters, that's what happened. And that's why the devil was there to tempt them. But the devil did not make, this, make them sin. The devil did not overrule their choice. But the devil tempted them, brothers and sisters, to have them make a choice quickly. Make a choice. That's why the devil was in the garden. Praise the Lord. The devil knew that it was impossible for him to overcome Adam and Eve in the spirit. They were much stronger than him. He was, by this time, the devil was a fallen creature. There's no way he had power over Adam or power over Eve or anything in the garden, brothers and sisters. He didn't even have power with a serpent. That's why God curses the serpent, brothers and sisters. That's why he cursed the serpent. Because the devil has no power over the serpent. The devil has no power over the animals in the garden. The devil has no power over Adam and Eve. Eve could have grabbed the serpent. Hallelujah. He could have grabbed the serpent and break the serpent neck or put the serpent in the fire. He had that authority. He had that power. It's like when you receive the Holy Spirit of God through Jesus Christ, when you receive the Lord as your Savior, and you are baptized in the Holy Spirit of God, you have power over serpent and scorpion in any power of the enemy. Praise the Lord. If you allow the enemy to come against your life and ruin your life and damage your life and do this and do that, and it's you that I... You are giving your choice to, to the devil because in Jesus Christ's name, you have the authority in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord to overcome the power of the enemy. Praise you, Lord. I remember when the Lord took me to the devil's throne and the devil began to insult me. I stand to him and I know there was nothing he could do. Another occasion I was fighting this demon giving me a hard time in the spirit. I beat the demon out. He ran. He said, wait until I get my master. I said, you can get your master or anybody else back then. I was young. Praise the Lord. And I will find your master or anybody else, I said to the demon. Then I learned I was doing this out of my own pride. Yes, you can beat up demon in the spirit and all that. But what would you gain from that? It's better to say, may the Lord rebuke these Satan. Rebuke them in the name of the Lord. Let the Lord deal with them and throw them into hell. You can send them into hell and, and, and let it be over with. Not spend hours like I used to there fighting demons. I noticed that the Lord revealed to me that was, that was out of my pride. And a lot of people don't know this. Fighting demons all night long when they can just rebuke them in the name of the Lord or say that the Lord rebuked these anything. Remember the humility of the of the uh, of Michael, he was he was defending Moses' body, and Satan keep coming against him. Michael did not say, "I am the archangel in charge of this, 
you are not taking this body. I'm going to put you to shame now and be Satan out. No. His humility was to say that may the Lord rebuke thee, Satan. And the Lord took care of the problem. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And when the Lord revealed this to me, I said, oh, well, I'm sorry, Lord. I was doing this out of my pride, beating up demons all night long. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. And a lot of you, you can do it. I know a lot of people still doing that. Praise you, Lord. What will you gain from it? You won't gain anything. Rebuke them in the name of the Lord. Cast them out. Cast them out into the pig. Jesus cast out those demons out into the pig. He knew he was going to cast them out. The demon knew. Jesus did not play around with demons. He knew he was going to cast them out. Oh, let us go into the into the into the pig. Okay, go. They're not wasted. When he was tempted by the devil for forty for forty days and forty nights, and the devil tempted him, then he says, "Go, thou should not tempt the Lord thy God." Satan, go. That was it. He didn't deal with the devil anymore. He didn't fight him. He didn't jump all over him and step all over him and punch him and all that to show me one that he was the son of God. He didn't do none of those nonsense. Why are people doing it today? Out of pride. Out of pride. Humility is always the best way. Look what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. His humility to the Father, brothers and sisters. Praise you, Lord. God is so awesome. God is so good. Thank you, Jesus. We have a great God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Under the obedience of God, you will do whatever God asks you to do. Isaiah 23 says, the Lord said, as my servant Isaiah have walked naked and barefoot three years as a sign of wonder upon Asia and upon Ethiopia. What a mighty sign this was. Isaiah, the Lord told him, my son, Isaiah, go walk naked. It was to show them the sinful way. God chooses how he wants to show us our sinful way. A lot of us, if God would ask us to do this today, we will say no. Brothers and sisters, hallelujah. But God says about Isaiah, and Isaiah says, Isaiah did it. He walked naked. Some people say, I don't think God would ask this of me. God would ask things of you to test you, and we just need to be humble, humility. Humility. I'm sorry, Lord. Help us to be humble, Lord. Help us to do your will, Lord, and not our will be done, but thy will be done, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Humility, brothers and sisters, is what God is asking you and I to be humble before him because he will help us. He will help us, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. When, when, when God came to Daniel, thank you, Lord, and Daniel 10, 17, for how can this servant of my Lord talk with thee, my Lord, who asked for me straight away, straight away, straight away, that remained it, no strength in me, neither is there any breath left in me. Sure thing. There was no strength in Daniel. Praise the Lord. It has to come from the Lord, our strength, brothers and sisters. Look what, how, Daniel, how Daniel was. He had no strength. Now, Daniel is a representation of the, of the Jewish people. Daniel is a type of Jacob here because Daniel is interceding for God's people, the Israelites. 
the Jewish people. The Jewish people have no strength right now from God. As they go into the tribulation, they have no strength. Why, how can they get strength? How can the Jewish people get back on their feet? Let me keep reading how. The Bible tells you and I how they're going to get on their feet in the tribulation. Verse 18. Then they came again and... T- then there came again, and he touched me with one of the, the with one of the appearance of men, and he strengthened me. There came Jesus, the Messiah, and touched Daniel. Touched the, he's going to come and touch the Jewish people. He will connect again with the Jewish people. In other words, Jesus will come in the tribulation and connect with the Jewish people. He's going to touch them. Connection. When God comes and touches you, he connects with you. When you ask the Lord to give you strength, Jesus come and connect with your life, his life, and strengthen you. Hallelujah. He is the almighty. He has all strength. Come in your life to give you strength. Then he came and touched me, one with the appearance of man, and he strengthened me. Thank you, Lord. He gave him strength as he touched as he touched Jacob, as he touches Daniel, as he touches the Jewish people, they will receive strength. They will be connected with God again. Thank you, Lord. They will be one with the Lord, one with Messiah, one with Jesus. Because if you have the Son, you have the Father, remember. Thank you, Lord. Verse 19. And he said, Oh, man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee. He said, Shalom. Be strong, ye, Jay. Be strong. And when he, when he had spoken to me, I was strained and, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast threatened me. Thank you, Lord. As the Lord restored Jacob, as the Lord restored the Jewish people back in the tribulation, brothers and sisters, thank you, Lord. They are greatly beloved. Hear what the Lord says there. The Jewish people are greatly beloved. Now is the time for the bride of Christ to get to be one with Christ. Why are you waiting to call upon the Lord and have the Lord touch you and give you his strength for you to be one with him as he touches you? You're going to become one with Christ. Ready to go home in the rapture, he'll make you, brothers and sisters. But you need to cry out to him. You need to let him know, I have no strength, Lord. Give me your strength. Touch me. Touch me. The Lord will touch you and give you strength. Be one with Messiah. Thank you, Jesus. This is the time for the bride of Christ to come close to the Lord, cry out to the Lord to for the touch, touch, touch. Because when he touches you, he gives you strength, but not only strength, not only strength, he gives you oil. Oil. The bride needs oil. Why did the foolish bride stay? Because they had no oil. They ran out of oil. Running out of oil is not asking the Messiah to come and touch you. Ask him to come and touch you. It always been personal with God. Men from the beginning have walked away from God, their creator. But always been, it's been a relationship with God from the beginning. When God called Moses, what did he say to Moses? Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go so they can come to this mountain and worship me. In other words, God says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go so they can come in this mountain and we will become one. 
one. The example of marriage in the garden for men and women to get married, for God to marry them, and for them to become one flesh was the example of Jesus Christ and you and I. We become one in our relationship with the Lord. Marriage is an example of our relationship with God in us. One, we become with him. One. That's why we need to ask him to come and touch us, to come and give us strength. Every day, pray for strength. I pray for strength almost every day. Almost every day. Ask the Lord to give you strength every day, and watch what happens. He'll come and touch you. Hallelujah. You'll become one with Messiah. You'll become one with Jesus, like God meant from the beginning. Thank you, Lord. God meant us from the beginning. When God created woman, Adam was asleep. Thank you, Lord. Some people say, no wonder men don't understand women. Adam was asleep. He didn't know what was going on as God made women. He didn't, he didn't know. He didn't know what was going on. He was asleep. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Because in the oneness in God is when we get to know each other. See, people misunderstand the message of God from the beginning. And by not knowing each other at the moment, it doesn't mean we don't become one. Yes, we become one, and we get to know each other, and it, ha- and it will be by love. It will be by love. Love unites us. Love doesn't separate us. That's why we t- God tells us that he's love. To understand that when you come to him, you, you'll be united with him. You'll be one. And in that, in that love, there will be nothing that God will not give you. If you give yourself unto the Lord and love him, there will be nothing God will hold back from you. You will walk in the supernatural like in the natural every day with God. Thank you, Jesus. You'll walk with him in the supernatural like in the natural every day. There will be nothing God will not hold from you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I have met people who who, who, who walked in the supernatural with God. Thank you, Lord. And to me, it was a privilege because it was God confirming to me that everything is possible with God. It was for me to believe I have met an angel who God sent for mission from heaven to come and talk to me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I have met an angel that came from heaven to come and talk to me. And at the same time, I met on other people that were, we met the angel. And they did not know at the moment there was an angel, but later find out it was. Thank you, Lord. I said, the angel went back to God. Thank you, Jesus. You want God to bring you close to him? You have to begin to come close to him and love him. Love is the only way that you can come close to God. People try many other ways. If you cannot separate faith from love, brothers and sisters, and revelation from love or wisdom from love, you cannot separate these words. A lot of people do. Thank you, Lord. In Hebrew, this word becomes one, God. God is love. God is faith. God is unity. God is marriage. And and in Hebrew, the way to understand marriage, the way to understand God, the closest you become with God is what helps you understand that that's what you are with your wife, one. Thank you, Lord. The more you draw closer to God, 
the closer God revealed himself to you. In other words, it comes closer to you, but God is already close to you. Is that you become to understand how close God is to you when you get close, when you seek to be close with Him. Remember what the seraphim said in, in in Isaiah chapter six, "Glory, glory!" As they worship the Father, what did they say? The whole earth is full of His glory. Why are we walking in that glory? If the whole earth is full of the glory, why does it feel that the glory is there, but it's so hard for us to get in that glory? Oh, man. That, this wasn't part of my message. I don't know who to God wants to talk to, but I, I can feel the Lord talking to someone directly to his heart, her heart. Someone has been crying out for more, and God has given them more now at this moment. There's an anointing being released for someone's heart. I can feel that anointing being released for someone. God is speaking directly to this person's heart. And not only one, I can see more than three people that God has spoken to directly that are being so hungry for him, asking for more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. His presence will be unprecedented for you as you seek for more. He will give you much more than what you expect. He will bring you from the natural to the supernatural, from the supernatural to the natural, and it all becomes one. There will be you will feel no separation from here to heaven or from heaven to here because everything is one because God is everywhere. And God is one. There is no distance from God. You may think that heaven is trillions of years away. Again, you may think that heaven is trillions of years away from here, and that's where God's thrown in. I tell you this. Thank you, Lord. God is closer to your life. And what you think he is, there is no distance to God. There's absolutely no distance. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. He will give you a lot more. He will give you a lot more. If you seek him more and you trust him more and you let him teach you, ask him to be your rabbi. Ask him to be your teacher. Let him teach you. Let him reveal himself to you. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to, te- to talk to you. Ask him to talk to you. And he will talk to you like no one can. He knows you better than anyone. He knows you better than yourself. You think you know yourself. No, you don't. He knows you even better than you. That's why you need to ask him to talk to you directly. And let him show himself to you. By asking him to show himself to you to the man. Just ask him to show himself to you directly. He doesn't mean anyone between you and him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He doesn't mean anyone. He doesn't mean anyone. He can do all things. All things are possible with God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. He has shown me things that there's a lot of things he has shown me. I, I, I won't be able to say it on the, on the Lord's hour. Because so many many people that don't believe the Tao. If they doubt his word, how can I share his revelation? If you doubt his word, how can I share his deep revelation? His mighty revelation. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some people say, Brother, help me. I know you have seen things and you know things from God that you have not shared on the Lord's I say, Yes, 
Will you share that with me? If you have, if you're struggling to believe His word, why would you ask me to share those things with you? People open the Bible doubting what it says in that word. When you doubt His word, you're doubting Him, and you're offending Him, because God is not a man that He will lie. If you compare Him to a man, how He wants, you, how He wants His him to show his mighty power to you. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. He, he's coming. He is coming for us. Thank you, Lord. He is coming for each one of us, his children. He will not deny to us what he already given to us, himself. He's not going to deny himself to us when he already gave himself to us on the cross. Through the Holy Spirit, He already gave it, gave it us Himself. When He gave us His Spirit, He gave us His His whole life, because He is Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. I was meditating as I was watching Jesus' movie today. I say do it every Sunday. That Jesus was baptized by John, and the Holy Spirit came to him as a dove. That dove was still Jesus. It was exactly what He said. I give myself my life. I have the power to give it and take it up again. He was in total control of everything that went about in his own walk, in his own life. In this world and in the world to come and in heaven, he is in total control. There is nothing that he's not in control of. People are concerned for the judgment that are coming, the tribulation that are coming. God don't want you to be concerned for those things. God wants you to be obedient to him and trust him that he will take care of you and your family. That's what God wants for each and one of us. He don't want us to walk under fear. Fear is not of God. Walk under the fear of God, but not under the fear of the devil. The fear of the devil has people running up and down, left to right, not knowing what to settle. When you trust the Lord, you, you live in peace, you walk in peace. You know that God is with you. Thank you, Lord. If you've been doubting God and comparing God with everything, everybody else, you've been wrong. You need to repent. I'm telling you right now, you, you should not compare God with any man. God is not a man. God is God. Jesus is God. He may look like a man, but he's not a man. He's God. And he has all power in heaven and earth. Trust him. Believe in him. Always. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Thank you, Lord. He will help you. Thank you, Lord. There's more of him you want. There's so much of him that in a trillion year, you understand there's still so much of him more that you can receive from him. God is endless. No one in heaven, no matter how old he or she is, can say, I had enough of God because God is endless. There is no limit to his power. There is no limit to his presence. There is no limit to all his creation. God can continue to create for here through all eternity. Praise you, Lord. There's no limit to him. There is absolutely no limit. And there's no distance. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. When we go to heaven, we will learn that we just began to get to know the Lord. Thousands a year will go by. Millions a year will go by. 
If you talk to angels about thousands of years, they'll be like, talk to me about millions better. Because <laughs> they have seen millions and billions of years go by, like the like yesterday day. <laughs> like last weekday, they have seen billions of years go by. What can you say to them about God? Praise the Lord. And they're still learning. They still know that God is endless because they, they learn something new about God every day. And they have known God for billions of years, brothers and sisters. Praise you, Lord. And every day they learn something new about God. So how can anyone say we know God? We know the Lord. He has given us a Bible in which for us to get to know him and come closer to him. And that alone that God has given us, those books, the Bible, people still question them. If you come to God with faith, like a child, and you read that word, believing every word that is in that Bible, you will be so blessed that you have no idea. You will grow so much in God. You need to repent your doubt and unbelief because it's not going to help you in any way. It is falling. It is from hell. It is from the devil. And nothing from the devil will help you with God. Right. Hell is the waste. If God throws away to punish the wicked, how can anything from the wicked help you? with the righteousness of God. Never. Never. God created heaven for Satan and his demons. And because people choose to follow his way, they get thrown into hell. But nothing in hell can help you to get close to God. Absolutely nothing, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. We need to walk by faith and not by sight. Hallelujah. The word of God says, we need to believe every word that comes out of God's word that is in that Bible. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because, you know, people that doubt the word also doubt God's revelation through his prophet. When someone God takes to heaven and show them things about heaven, which mostly are out in his Bible, and they come down and they share, people doubt them. And it's okay for you to search for the Lord, everything that is being said. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It is okay for you to find out from the Lord every word that someone says. But it God's word that is already written through his prophet, you're going to doubt it, those words that could be such a blessing to you if you believe? Oh, praise you, Lord. It's so much of God he wants to give to us. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. But God wants us to believe. God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. Come close to him like a child with a child faith. Call his name. Ask him to give us strength. Daniel de depended on the strength of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Verse 21, but I will show thee that which is not... Ignored in this creature of truth, there's none that hold it with me in these things by Michael, your prince. Look how God sees his own word. Look what Jesus called his own word, brothers and sisters. Look what he called his own word. Why are you calling God's word something else but truth? Why? Look what I said, but I will show you the, 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 the that which is noted in this creature of truth. God called his word the creatures of truth, the word of truth. Why are you calling it something else? 
It is true. Every word is true. He told Daniel, it's creatures of truth. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. It's all true. The word of God is true. Everything he gave Moses is true. Everything he gave the prophet is true. It is. It was for our own blessing. It was to, to enrich and bless our relationship with God. That's why he gave us those words, to enrich, to bless our relationship, for us to come close, so, so close with God that we will know and understand how close God is with us. And relationship is, is when you understand how close God is with you already. Praise the Lord. And that the glory that you think you want to go to heaven too, it can begin on earth. Abraham's relationship with God became started on earth. David's relationship with God started on earth. Moses' relationship with God started on earth. Abraham walked in the supernatural. Angel came with the Lord to visit him in the middle of the day, and they talk and share. Praise Enoch walked in the supernatural on this earth. Stephen was moving the supernatural on this earth. And John was taken out in and out out of the island of Patmos in the supernatural. Praise the Lord. And there were angels with him there and said, God has sent his angel to be here with me. Thank you, Lord, to show John the things that must be. Praise the Lord, because God is in his, the things of God are the things that, are, that will be always. And nothing else, this earth will be will finished, will end. But those that do the will of the Lord will endure forever. We will have no end. We will just move to a, to another another creation of God, the millennium. We go to heaven, we go to the millennium. The millennium ends. Where do we go? Eternity. <laughs> oh, I thank you, Lord. We move on to eternity. I've been to eternity. I see how it is. It's going to be. Oh, it is. Praise you, Lord, because all these things are in God. God is in our future, our presence, in our past. Thank you, Lord. He's everywhere. He holds everything in his hands. Thank you, Lord. But he wants us to trust him and come to him with faith because he has so much to reveal to us. But if we are not walking by faith, it will be, it will be impossible to us to receive what God has for us. Some people ask God for so much. Thank you, Lord. But if you don't believe him, you will, you will not be able to receive what he has for you. If you're walking over without unbelief, you won't be able to receive. I I notice that when I pray to the Lord, I repent my doubt and unbelief, and I pray to the Lord. I said, Lord, are you going to show me something, give me something for your people? The Lord will say, yes, I have something for, to show you. Thank you, Lord. He will show me something, but he will be pleased that I have asked by faith, that I'm not doubting him. I'm not questioning what he's telling me, but it's all working according to his will, to those that love him. He's walking his will in our life, brothers and sisters. The Lord begins to walk his will in our life to teach us and lead us and reveal to us the thing he wants us to know. And there's so much he wants us to know, brothers and sisters, so much. But it's up to us to humble ourselves to him, our life to him. 
and he will begin to show us things that we will know, not know of. Secret things that he says to most of them are hidden from men, the hidden things that belong to God. Hallelujah. But the revealed things are revealed for men. We have a lot of things that have been revealed to us by God, but there are a lot of other hidden things that God wants us to come to him in order for him to reveal to us. Brothers and sisters, he has so much, so much to reveal to us that are, are such a blessing to walk with him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And no one like him. Thank you, Jesus. I say I was obedient to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. David said in, in Psalm 25, 18, look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Totally honest with God. Thank you, Jesus. Totally honest. Thank you, Jesus. Praise Jesus. Jeremiah, hallelujah. Jeremiah 419 says, my heart, my heart, I am in pain. In my very heart, my heart, making a noise of me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, hast heard all my soul, the sound of the trumpet, alarm the word. Trouble, he knew trouble was coming. The alarm in his own heart. It was God yelling, his voice coming from God saying, look, trouble is coming. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. God is there for us, brothers and sisters. He's ready for us. Thank you, Jesus. Talking about Jacob, Psalm 21, 1 says, Lord, hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of God of Jacob, defend thee. Thank you, Jesus. In the day of trouble, no matter what you're going through, cry out to the Lord. No matter what you're going through, cry out to the Lord. And if you cry out to the Lord, he comes and touches you and gives you strength like Daniel. And when he touches you, he comes to be one and one with you, relationship. For to become one, you with God. Like marriage, when you get married, you become one with your wife. God becomes one with you in relationship too. Thank you, Lord. He wants to be one with you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. The tribulation is coming. Jeremiah 37. Alas, for the day is gray, alas, so that none is like it. And even a, a, a time of Jacob trouble, but he should be saved out of it. Why is Jacob saved out of his trouble? Because God is not a man that he will lie, or the son of man that he will repent. If God, if you cry out to God, God will always deliver you. That's why God tells Jacob, cry, Jacob. No, Jacob, that no one can deliver you. Because one thing is when you know the word, and then you quote the word to God, you cry out to God. For what, what, for what you already know that the word of God says, and he says, no, Jacob, that I am the only one that can deliver thee, Jacob. Cure your wound, Jacob. Heal your wound. Because he's the only one that can heal Jacob's wound, brothers and sisters. And so Jacob needs to know that it's only the Lord King. And so God wants you to know by his word that he is faithful. And you can cry out to him anytime, any day, and he will help you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to be traveling tomorrow, and I ask each one of you to pray. Keep my family and I in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. So please keep us in prayer. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray later prophecy from today. Thank you, Lord, here. And so 
Praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. God bless each and one of you. Hey, YouTubers. Wendy here. Um, I wanted to bring you all the latest prophetic words. These are the words from November 6, 2015 to November 11, 2015. Um, the first one is called, the first one is November 6. It's called Season of Prayer. My people, you are in a season of prayer. This means I desire you would avail yourselves of my mighty power through praying my will in this time. I will multiply your answers now if you will do this because I greatly desire to show mercy to those who do not know me yet, just as I showed mercy and saved you. Cry out to me for mercy, for none can save as I do. Call out their names that they may be brought up before me, and I will send angels on assignment to bring it to pass. And he's talking about praying for your unsaved loved ones and other lost people that we don't know. Ask me for treasures of darkness. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. For yourselves as well as for them, for I shall give it you. In these dark times there are many treasures to be had, plus many unclaimed by generations past. Though you long for better times and more prosperity in the earth, good and prosperous times cause some to feel no need of salvation and no inkling to turn to me. Better times cause mankind to gaze at the beauty of the world I created, not at my beauty. I heard great sadness in his voice when he said that. Your time of sorrows will be, will be filled with grief. But do not grieve times gone by, for if I returned then, so many more souls would have been lost for all eternity. Rejoice that my coming is nearer now. Meaning, if he had come back, like, you know, ten years ago, all the people that have been saved in the last ten years would have just been lost. Your reward for walking through this time, this time shall be great. You shall see signs and wonders and mighty displays of my power as no other generation has ever seen. Though you see the wicked triumph for a little while, know that I am a righteous judge and I am never mocked. Take comfort, my children, that I planned the end of the age with you in mind and that I will walk with you every step of this journey, wrapping you in my love. I thought that was so beautiful. Okay, treasures of darkness as I understand them. And what when I asked God one time, when I found that scripture about the treasures of darkness, um, I was like, what are those? And what he showed me was those are, those are the revelations that you get and the gifts, the spiritual gifts that you get by walking through the really tough times, like the wilderness times and things like that. Let's see if I can find the scripture. Isaiah 45.3. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. Okay. November 7th, 2015. Your calling. Trust me to lead you into your calling to my work in the earth. Those of my children who know not your calling, trust me. Seek my face with all your heart in worshiping me, in prayer often, in my word daily, and I will guide you. Trust me. I had been praying for some people that had emailed me and said that they had no clue what their calling was. I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to help them with that. And he gave me that word. He's saying, you can't help them. I'll lead them. November 9th, 2015, Walk in Truth. My people, you must guard your lives, your minds, and your ministries all the more today and going forward from attacks of your adversary. He seeks to tear down what I have built through you, and his ways are very subtle. 
a tax of unholy alliances. And I saw in the Spirit people who claim to be working for God, who try to get you to go in with them on something, but really are doing the work of the enemy. A tax to discredit not only my name, but yours also. And this is so that your ministry will become ineffective. Ask me for more discernment, for the attacks are increasing even now. Now, we have seen that in the last two weeks. We have, me and all the people I know, not all you see or hear is from me, and you must walk in my spirit to discern the difference. Do not be deceived, my children. Walk in the truth of my light. Now, this word is called walk in truth. And uh, a new Christian asked me, what does it mean to walk in the spirit? And I answered that in a very long comment on this word, walk in truth, uh, at wingsofprophecy.com if you have a question about that. I answered it to the best of my ability. November 10th, the days. The days before you grow increasingly dark and violent, my children. But if you put on my presence and walk in love, it cannot harm you, for no devil in hell can bear my almighty presence. Abide in my word, dwell with me in heavenly places, and see how I protect you and guide you. I am always with you, my children. Slow your life down that you may experience me more. Do not fear what is coming in your world, for I have overcome the world. Whenever we get scared about what's coming, we need to remember Jesus overcame the world already, and we just need to rejoice and let him have it. November 11th, do not lose faith. That's today. Some of you have been in an intense battle for some time now, feeling as, that, feeling as though you are barely keeping your head above water in the fight. I say to you today, wipe clean your armor, for I shall finish the battle for those of mine who have labored, labored long on the battlefield. Wipe clean your armor, for it shall be put away to fight with another day. This day have I clothed you with a new mantle, a mantle of victory, for you have won the battle you are in. I have told you that you are in a season of prayer, and so you are. You are in a season of prayer to save lost souls, prayer for me to increase your territory, and prayer for strength and refreshment for the next battle. The enemy sees the mantle of victory on you, but this does not guarantee you will win every battle, so do not allow pride to enter in. It is a symbol that your endurance has been tested and tried, and you have come through. You will need endurance more and more for the coming battles, for they are long and arduous ones. I always prepare my people for what lies ahead of them if they are surrendered to me. Those who refuse my refining will not be ready. Do not lose faith when you see unprepared ones fall in battle, for they were not willing. It was not my will. I desire all to be prepared. I draw you to what will best prepare you, but many refuse me. No, I put the wrong word, not preparing. It's supposed to be preferring, preferring worldly pleasures to my preparation times. Remember, I have told you this. Now, when the Lord was talking about not losing faith, when you see unprepared ones fall in battle, I saw that many will die in disasters and attacks coming, not because he wills it, but because of their refusal to be prepared, to be trained to hear him and obey him. And I put a note on this word about this. I'm reading it to you. Others in the faith will blame God, but it is not his doing. It is their own for not allowing him to be the Lord of their lives in every way, for not being willing to spend time with him, listen for his voice, and clear the sin out of their lives. So that's the last word that I have right now.
And um, I hope that this has been a blessing to you. I hope it helps you. Thanks for watching, and I hope you all have a great week. Glad to be here again on God's Healer 7. I want to give an update on Barbara. Um, she is improving and um, got some frankincense from his sister, and I'm going to bring that up. I went to the store as I have the quest of trying to find something that she will eat that is becoming very difficult based on her period diet. So I've gotten some suggestions and let them coming, and um, I assume there's a full-fledged revolt right now, and should be interesting. So again, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2. I got this word on November 17th of 2015. Acts chapter 2, verses 7, verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Again, I got this word on November 17th of 2015. Out of the depths of inequity you called on me, and I answered thee. I have strengthened thee to do my good works. I shall pour up my spirit in these latter days, and let those who have ears hear. You shall step forward and proclaim my glory, for there shall not be another. The time for rest has passed since this day requires action. Evil has tried to stop thee, but it shall fail. My angels surround thee. I shall empower thee. I have put my words on your lips. Shall the Lion of Judah not roar this day? I shall bless those you bless and curse those you curse. Where there is indifference, there shall be judgment. Where there is peace, there shall be war. I shall send the plagues of nations on this evil generation. Soon the time of repentance shall pass, and I shall sweep clean the threshing floor. Incline thy ear, for I shall awaken those that have fallen asleep. Where there is truth, there is no surrender. Wow. So as Barbara would say, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I am announcing the coming of the glorious kingdom and His Majesty from September 24, 2015, to April 6th of 2019 and we are in the time of darkness. Shalom. Glad to be here again on God's Healer 7. First I'm going to give, I'll give an update on Barbara. Her vitals are improving 
everything is about back to normal except two vitals that have to do with her kidneys which are very important and she still has a little way to go there. Um, she's still not eating. It's not because of a lack of appetite. It's because of the diet. It's a puree diet and she's not happy with it. She wants pizza and lasagna and she's organizing a revolt at the rehab center and she's leading it. Okay, so um, the word I got has to do with the parable of the talents, which is Matthew 25. Um, we're all given our talents, and God expects them to use them. We all have a job to do, and uh, we'll all be held accountable on what we do. So I'm going to go into Matthew chapter 25, and uh, I'm going to read 14 to 30. It's a little long, but I, it's really good, and I think it all should be read. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more. So also he that had two talents, he made two more. But the one who had received one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five, five talents came forward, bringing five more, and saying, Master, you delivered me five, here I made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who, the one who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me the two talents, here I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been, given, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. He also, then he came to the man who had received one talent, and he said, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you have scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. So now I'm going to read this word. I got this word on November 15th of 2015. To whom much is given, much is expected. I have called thee to do my good works. Feed my sheep. The harvest is great, and the laborers are few. What was thought not possible shall be 
for all things are possible for those who put their faith and trust in me. Shall these words not awaken those that have fallen asleep? Events shall move quickly, for in the blinking of an eye, all that was shall not be. What was forgotten shall be remembered, what was lost shall be found. The door that had been opened shall be closed. Time cast a dark shadow on this evil generation. Those that seek me shall find me. Judgment stands in readiness. Will you be found on the Father's side? So again, as Barbara would say, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I am announcing the coming of the glorious kingdom and his majesty from September 24, 2015 to April 6, 2019. And we are in the time of darkness. And as Barbara would say, be safe out there. God bless. Shalom. Next week. Let's talk about Bible prophecy. For today's update, I had sensed during this last week that the Holy Spirit would have me to speak about where everything that's happening in the world today is headed. I think you'd agree with this presupposition that so much is happening so fast geopolitically and that it all seems to be pointing in the same direction both biblically and prophetically. Actually, it's for this reason that I deem it necessary to address this so-called Syrian refugee crisis. And you'll, I hope, understand here momentarily why I'm calling it so-called Syrian refugee crisis. It has become the most controversial issue facing the world in recent days. It's all you see on the news, wall-to-wall coverage of these so-called Syrian refugees. I'm sure you're aware of this Associated Press report that Hawaii's Governor Ige had stated on Tuesday that he doesn't know of any specific plans to relocate Syrian refugees in Hawaii. However, this was one day after he said the state would welcome refugees from the war-torn country. On Monday, Ige said Hawaii would accept refugees from Syria, noting the state and the U.S. have a long history of welcoming refugees affected by war and oppression. His office received 500 calls from the public about his statement, a petition on change.org opposing the resettling of Syrians in Hawaii collected more than 7,000 signatures by late Tuesday, one day after it was created. I'm hoping you'll kindly indulge me. I'm going to go through this as quickly as I can. I appreciate your patience. Uh, I have a lot of information that I want to uh, share with you today concerning this matter. Now, lest you think that Christians in America, and particularly here in Hawaii, are unloving, 
with no aloha in refusing them, let me hasten to say that these so-called Syrian refugees are neither Syrian nor are they refugees. The fact of the matter is they are Islam's Trojan horse for the purpose of the global infiltration of Islam for subsequent global domination under Islam. Can I say what the Apostle Paul said concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant as a Christian when it comes. Have discernment. Have discernment. These are not Syrian, and these are not refugees. Well, who are they then? Well, I believe that the fact that these are Muslim terrorists, many of whom belong to and are part of the Islamic State, is the only explanation as to why it is that the United States of America is refusing to take the true Christian refugees in. And by the way, my family were true Christian refugees. When in 1963, my father fled the Middle East because of Islam back then, was sponsored into the United States of America legally as refugees from the Middle East, Christian refugees. The organization that sponsored us was the World Council of Churches. And we were accepted into this country. Were it not for my father bringing us here to America, I doubt very much that I would be saved, let alone alive, had I stayed in Lebanon back in the 60s. Well, I want you to think about this. If they were true Syrian refugees, then why is this administration waiting until now to all of a sudden want to do something about it? In other words, why didn't Obama act when chemical weapons were used on the Syrian people, the true Syrian people, allegedly by Assad himself? I want to recommend a very sobering article that was published on Thursday by the Canada Free Press titled, Obama, Incompetence or Treason. I'll just share with you two paragraphs from it. By the way, all you have to do is enter in a search, Obama, Incompetence or Treason, and you'll pull up this uh, article. It's a must-read. I'm going to quote. Why has Obama taken a far back seat in the war on terror? Why has Obama seemingly switched sides? Why did Obama eagerly criticize Bush too about the national debt and then go about doubling it? Why does Obama back the Muslim Brotherhood? Why does Obama have such animosity towards Netanyahu and Israel, our greatest ally in the region? Why is Obama insisting on importing Syrian refugees contrary to fervent public opinion in spite of the Paris tragedy and then say, 
Are you telling me that the American people are afraid of widows and orphans? I'll read some more from the article, but let me parenthetically add. If you're anything like me, did it not grieve your spirit to hear the President of the United States of America ridicule Christians, mock Christians, mock God? God is not mocked. God is not mocked. We're not afraid of widows and orphans. We're afraid of these Muslim terrorists that you're going to bring into America that will make us widows and orphans. I say to you, Mr. President, shame on you. Shame on you. And one day you will give an account for what you are doing. And your anti-Christian, anti-Israel... Words that you speak, you will be held to an account for every single one of them. The article goes on to say, Does this man think we're stupid? (laughs) In short, why is Obama doing the opposite of what any amount of common sense would say to do? The article goes on to say, Why did Obama work so hard on an Iran deal that gives that country a nuclear capability? Why is Obama shrinking our military to pre-World War II levels? Why is Obama releasing terrorists from Gitmo, contrary to the requirement that Congress be given a 30-day advance notice, and in spite of a congressional report that says about 30% of released prisoners have either returned to military activity or suspected of doing so? Why did Obama choose to create Obamacare, even without one vote of support from Republican members of Congress? Why did Obama make recess appointments when Congress was not in recess? Why does Obama ignore the plight of Christians and Jews, but is constantly pleading for Muslims? Why does Obama insist we have a broken immigration system when it is just a matter of laws not being obeyed? Why does Obama seem to divide the nation by race and class, white against black, rich against poor? Why does Obama routinely trash his own country on foreign soil? My answer, he is deliberately destroying the United States of America. I'll say it again. He is deliberately destroying the United States of America. Sadly and shamefully, Obama repeatedly castigates Christians while at the same time validates Muslims. It seems we are now living in a day where born-again Christians are persecuted and demon-possessed Muslims are protected. The truth is seen as a lie, and a lie is seen as the truth. And this is Isaiah 5.20, is it not? Woe unto them, a curse unto them, that call evil good, and good evil. On Friday at Fred Hoke's memorial service, had a most interesting conversation with a sister in Christ, Courtney Rogers, 
Lahua and Carol were there at the time. Uh, Courtney Rogers is a legislator in the Tennessee State House of Representatives, and she shared with me what is really going on and what's happening in her state. She told me that Tennessee has the highest population of Kurds in the nation, which is why they're slated for massive Muslim migration. In other words, this is by design. This is by design. They are bringing in these Muslim terrorists. Oh, come on, Pastor, not all Muslims are terrorists. They're not Presbyterians. Well, not all Muslims are terrorists. Fine. But all terrorists are Muslims. Why are all terrorists Muslims? And why do Muslims strike terror in the hearts of people? Because they're commanded to do so in the Quran. And they're succeeding, by the way. We're afraid to go to football games in Mali. Highest terror alert level. People are afraid to go out. You're supposed to stay inside now. They're succeeding. There's a verse in the Quran, and please don't be ignorant. When you, when you hear someone say, well, they're peace-loving Muslims, if they're peace-loving Muslims, they're not Muslims. They're not Muslims. Dave and Terry invited us over to their home for uh, dinner last Sunday, and... Terry asked me a very interesting question. It's a question I've been asked often, and it's, what about these Muslims that say they're Muslims and, you know, they're just law-abiding citizens? To which the only answer I can give is they are not true Muslims. They're cultural Muslims. They're cultural Muslims. Well, but aren't they peace-loving Muslims? They're not true Muslims because they're disobedient to what the Qur'an tells them. The Qur'an tells them to strike terror, to terrorize the infidel, to behead the infidel, to kill whatever you find them, the infidel. That's what the Qur'an commands the Muslim to do. And they specifically target the Jews and the Christians because the Qur'an says the people of the book, what book? This book. The Old Testament Jew and the New Testament Christian. Unlike our governor here in Hawaii, Tennessee's governor is asking the feds to stop sending Syrian refugees. Here's some of what the Tennessean report had to say. In the wake of the terrorist attacks in Paris, Governor Bill Haslam asked federal officials Monday to stop sending Syrian refugees to Tennessee. The statement from the Republican governor comes amid similar calls from the other GOP lawmakers representing Tennessee at the state and federal level. Last I heard, as of yesterday, there were over 30 governors that are saying, you're not sending them here. You're not sending them here. If you have any doubt, and I understand if you do, about who these so-called Syrian refugees really are, you might want to consider this Yahoo News report published last Thursday. And Yahoo, by the way, is a very liberal 
uh, news uh, uh, reporting agency. Let me quote from the report. The headline was, Honduras arrests five Syrians headed to U.S. with stolen passports. Honduran authorities have arrested five Syrians intending to make it to the United States with stolen Greek passports, triggering alarm Wednesday in the wake of the Paris attacks launched by Syria-linked jihadists. They had traveled by air from Syria to Lebanon, my birthplace, then to Turkey, Brazil, Argentina, Costa Rica, and on to Honduras. From there, they were to make their way to Honduras' second city of San Pedro Sula with the aim of going overland through Guatemala, then, listen, Mexico, and on to the United States. The reasons for the Syrians' trip were not immediately known, and Honduran police were considering the possibility that they were refugees fleeing the war in Syria, but <laughs> the report goes on to say that one of the gunmen in the Paris attacks was carrying a Syrian passport used to transit through Greece, though authorities have not confirmed that he was the man in the document. A spokesman for the country's inter-institutional security force said that Honduras was part of a route to the United States often used by unauthorized migrants. Listen to this. This year, 12,600 foreigners were detected illegally entering Honduras, almost all of them with the aim of getting to the United States. Please know that I don't share this article to create fear. Rather, I share it to apprise you of the truth in love. Again, don't be ignorant. Don't be so gullible. Jesus said, be harmless as doves, but be shrewd as serpents. I think it's easier for Christians, under the banner of avoiding conflict, to be harmless as doves. Turn the other cheek. It's infinitely more difficult for Christians to be shrewd as serpents. Shrewd as serpents. Well, I speak this truth in love because I love. On Thursday, the New York Post published an article titled, Syrian Community Leader, ISIS is already in America. Do you believe that? Let me quote the article. A leader of New York City's Syrian community told the Post on Wednesday that ISIS terrorists have absolutely sneaked into America by posing as civil war refugees, of course, and joined sleeper cells just waiting to be activated. I believe the terrorists from Syria have been coming into the United States not only in the past few years, but way before that, said Arafat Sukkar of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I think they're already at work. Sukkar said, corruption in his homeland is so rampant that anyone could easily pay bribes and obtain official identification papers bearing a fake name to disguise their real identity. And this, by the way, is exactly what is taking place. He says, you can go to the Syrian government today and say to them, I need a piece of paper that says I'm Tony Caterpillar. 
and they give it to you, <laughs> he said. These are not forged documents. These are written out by a government employee who needs money, whose family has no food. Sukkot also noted that third world countries, particularly places like Syria, do not have the network of information that the United States has. In Syria, he says, there's no such thing. So when they tell you that the refugees are vetted, and I'm quoting, are you out of your mind? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> it gets worse. Last week I had a number of people send me a video titled, With Gates Wide Open. Actually, Joel Walker, who's on our board, uh, sent it to me last uh, weekend. I, I don't recommend viewing this video for the faint at heart. The content is both very graphic and horrific. It has had millions of views since being posted on many websites in the last couple of weeks. And pictured here is a screenshot from the video showing these so-called Syrian refugees all of which are men, all of which are Muslims, and I would submit all of which are terrorists. And they're saying, quote, we will be even stronger and more tomorrow. This next screenshot shows them saying, and we will defeat you. Wait, I thought you were refugees. That doesn't sound like something a refugee would say. That sounds like something a terrorist would say. Here's the thing. They're in Europe today and will seemingly have unfettered access to the United States tomorrow. I want to show you on the screen a picture of this UK Muslim Imam. This is a vile, demon-possessed Muslim cleric by the name of Anjum Chowdhury. Perhaps you've seen him on uh, some of the cable news channels. I don't think that they'll have him on Fox anymore. I'm going to read the quote. You see it there on the screen. Quote, Westerners need to accept the fact that Islam will dominate all lands it touches. The Holy Qur'an teaches us that where we put our feet, we shall rule that land. It's that simple. Let's put that question that I mentioned at the beginning back on the table. The question of what's the significance of this? And the question of where is all of this headed in terms of Bible prophecy. I'll say it again. I wish I was wrong, and as God is my witness, I hope I'm wrong, but I believe we are seeing the deliberate dismantling and destroying of the United States of America, the once most powerful and blessed nation on earth. And make no mistake about it, God will put 
in the rule men who are a judgment of God on a nation. He will allow them to rule as his hand of judgment. And by the way, if this is indeed happening, and I truly believe it is, then we need look no further as to why America is conspicuously absent from the pages of Bible prophecy. This would certainly explain why. I want to close this way. If your hope is in this world, if your hope is in the United States of America, and I'll even take it a step further and say if your hope is in this upcoming presidential election, then the ladder of your hope is on the wrong wall. It's in the wrong place. The only hope we have is in Jesus Christ and his soon return to take his bride in the rapture, which I believe can happen at any time. If you have never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, I implore you to first refuse putting it off any longer and do so today, that today would be the day of your salvation. I pray you will. Would you please stand and we'll pray. Loving Heavenly Father, admittedly, this is tough stuff. This is a hard word. I pray that we won't do what the multitudes did upon hearing a hard word and walk away. To which you would say to the disciples, are you going to walk away as well? Lord, I pray that our response would be like Peter's. Where are we going to go? Only you, Lord, have the words of truth. This is the truth. And you are the truth. And the truth is the only thing that can set us free. You're the only truth. You're the only way. And you're the only life. Lord, I pray for anyone who has never called upon you, that today they would call upon you, believing in their heart and confessing with their mouths that you, Jesus, are Lord. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. But with, let's get into the Word of God. On Sunday mornings, we're going through 1 Corinthians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today, our text will be verses 8 through 10 in 1 Corinthians 12. So once you find your way there, if you're able, I'll ask you to stand. You can follow along as I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, writes, To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. 
To another, verse 9, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, verse 10, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits, or as some of your translations render it, discernment of spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Let's pray if you would join with me, and we'll ask God's blessing on our understanding. Loving Heavenly Father, would you at this time settle our hearts and enable us by the Holy Spirit to focus our attention completely and only and solely upon you and your word, that we might hear clearly and concisely without any distractions that which you would desire to speak into our lives. Lord, it's with great anticipation that we look to you to do just that. So will you, Lord? We're asking you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Today's teaching is part three of a series I've titled, What Everyone Should Know About the Holy Spirit. Heretofore, the Apostle Paul has addressed the Corinthian church concerning the baptism with and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason why he is addressing this matter. And it's because, like then, so too is this true for us now, there's sadly much confusion surrounding the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this is no light matter. Uh, this is a very important matter in the life of a Christian. I think I've said it before, it perhaps bears repeating. I don't know how it is possible, especially in these last days in which we're living, for a Christian to survive, let alone thrive, absent the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes vis-a-vis -vis the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And this is really the reason, I believe, chiefly, that the Apostle Paul is addressing this matter with the Corinthian church. Apparently, this was a, a serious problem that they were having there in Corinth. And it's interesting because one of the reasons they were having such a serious problem with this was because of ignorance. And that's really what Paul says. It's due to ignorance on the part of Christians. Actually, this was the first one we looked at in verses 1 through 3. And it's that Christians can be ignorant, particularly when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And here, Paul, and he only says this three times in the entirety of his epistles. He says, don't be ignorant. He only says it three times. And the three times that he says it are concerning Israel, concerning the rapture, and concerning the Holy Spirit. Pretty important topics, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> so he tells them that he doesn't want them to be ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he also tells them not to let their past experiences have 
undue influence on them when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Well, in verses 4 through 7, we looked at the second thing that everyone should know about the Holy Spirit, which is that there are different kinds of gifts and there are different kinds of service. Same Spirit, same Lord, same God, but different kinds of gifts. Paul describes the different gifts saying that they are given by the same Spirit and that different ministries are from the same Lord and that different workings are from the same God. And as we saw therein, we have woven into the fabric of verses 4 through 7 a description, an apt description of the Trinity, the triune nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, that brings us to our text today, and with it our third one, and it's that there are specific gifts for specific purposes. In verse 8, Paul begins listing these specific gifts that are given through the Spirit, and he starts with the gift of a word of wisdom, and then he lists the gift of a word of knowledge. And in verse 9, he continues with the list saying that by the same Spirit, one is given a gift of faith, and another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. And then in verse 10, he says, one is given a gift of working of miracles, a gift of prophecy, another a gift of discerning of spirits, another a gift of speaking in tongues, and yet another the gift of the interpreting of that speaking in tongues. Okay. In order for us to better understand these gifts, I've decided to, again this week, talk about them individually, look at them one by one, all of them that are on the list here in our text today. And not only what the gifts are, but what the specific purpose of those gifts are. And we'll start with the first one that Paul lists, and it's the gift of a word of wisdom. Now, this particular gift is supernaturally given whenever we find ourselves in those unique situations that require this specific manifestation of supernatural wisdom. And actually, the scriptures are replete with examples of the word of wisdom being manifested, many, of course, as you might imagine, are by the Savior himself, one of which is, and it's the one I like uh, the most, it's in the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter. You're uh, certainly welcome to turn there. I'll read verses 3 through 7. This is one of many times where Jesus is, try, they, they try to trap him and catch him and question him and we read in verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we're commanded to stone such women. Now, what do you say? <laughs> I can just picture these vile men. <laughs> who some believe, and I would tend to believe, actually set this woman up. 
in order to try to trap Jesus. And I can just picture them saying to themselves, we got him. We finally got him. Because if he answers that you should not do what Moses said, he goes contrary to the law. But on the other side of that, if he says, do what Moses said to do, then we've got him that way too. So the, what do you say? In verse 6, we're told they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, I would say probably badgering him, he straightened up and said to them, and here's a perfect example with the Savior himself of the gift of the word of wisdom being manifested. He says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Perfect answer. You know how it is when you think of a jillion things you could have said after the fact? You're in this dialogue and they're kind of getting the best of you and it's in that moment that you wish you had this gift of wisdom to say the perfect thing in the perfect way at the perfect moment and that's what the gift of a word of wisdom is. Uh, last week I shared in our prophecy update that I entered into this dialogue with this um, atheist and antagonist, really, an anti-Christian, I mean just through and through, full on. And I prayed, I said, Lord, I need the wisdom from above to best answer this antagonist. And he gave me what I believe was the perfect answer at the perfect moment as evidenced by the fact that he stopped responding. <laughs> kind, of like, kind of like the Pharisees did here. They had no words. In fact, we're told that they just started leaving one by one from oldest to youngest, which has many Bible teachers, uh, you know, sort of um, wondering whether or not it had to do with the fact that what he was writing in the ground was the names of every single one of them and their sins. And he started from the oldest to the youngest, and he says, let he who be without sin cast the first stone. And they can't cast the stone because that's my name. That's my sin. One thing I want to point out here, and this is um, part and parcel when it comes to the wisdom of God, the gift of the word of wisdom. You'll never find anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus shamed anybody. In fact, you'll find the opposite. Throughout the Gospel accounts, Jesus goes to great extents to ensure that there is no shame. The very first miracle that Jesus performed was the turning of water into wine. Do you know why? Because for a guest at a wedding to run out of wine 
would be so unthinkable and so shameful, they for the rest of their lives could never be seen in public because that is unimaginable. That's how serious of a matter it was. They would have been so ashamed that they had run out of wine at a wedding. And what does Jesus do? He not only turns the water into wine, the best wine is saved for last. When the woman at the well is talking with Jesus, that in and of itself was shameful. A woman never talked to a man, and especially in that setting. And here's a woman that's been married five times, living with a guy, and what does Jesus do? He doesn't shame her. You'll never find the Savior shaming anybody, and that is wisdom. That is wisdom from above. That is the wisdom of God. That is the gift of the word of wisdom. Well, this next gift is the gift of a word of knowledge, and it's a companion gift of sorts with the word of wisdom such that they both work in concert one with the other, and I'll explain what I mean by that. It's been said that knowledge is information, but wisdom is the application of that information. And such is the case here with these gifts. One of the best examples of this particular gift is found in Acts 27, when Paul is about to be shipwrecked while on his way to Rome. I want to read Acts 27:10 and verses 23 through 26. Paul says, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Last night, verse 23, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. These are actually both gifts, the gift of wisdom, the word of wisdom, and the word of knowledge, both of which Paul had received here. Well, let's move on to our third gift. (coughs) Pardon me. The third gift is the gift of faith. And this is an interesting gift because it's not really the same as when we walk by faith as Christians. That's not the gift of faith. That's walking by faith. That is, as Christians, our faith. But This gift of faith is a unique manifestation given by the Holy Spirit in a specific situation where a measure of supernatural faith is needed and as such given. Again, we find many examples of this, uh, one of which is in the Gospel of Matthew when Peter is given this gift to step out in faith out of the boat in that famous account, and walk on water. It's in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 25, 
We're told shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 28, I love Peter, I love Peter, I love Peter. Can't wait to meet him. <laughs> Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. That is the gift of faith. Given in that moment, at that specific time, for that specific purpose. Different than walking by faith on a daily and continual basis. Now we read, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. I want you to think this through with me. Fear is the antithesis of faith. Where faith resides, fear cannot reside. They cannot dwell together. If you are full of fear, you will not be full of faith. And if you are full of faith, you cannot be, conversely, full of fear. Well, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out the most famous three-word prayer in all of the Bible. Lord, save me. For those of you who went to Israel with us, when we're on the, in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, I haven't had anybody yet want to step out of the boat and try to walk on water. <laughs> I, my, my, my answer when asked, well, why don't you do it? You're the pastor. They said, well, God hasn't given me that gift of faith to do that at this specific moment. So that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. But... Uh, when we're there in the Sea of Galilee, and it's usually, it's always been the last few times we've gone, just so beautiful and serene. But what you don't realize is storms can just come at an instant, out of nowhere. And they can be perilous storms. Well, whenever we've been there, I always like to share about how it is that God answers three-word prayers. It's been said that it's not the length of the prayer, it's the strength of the prayer. Pretty strong prayer. Oh, by the way, uh, just so you know, that does not apply to sermons. The length of the sermons. I'll uh, leave that with you and let the Holy Spirit <laughs> minister that to you. Well, he prays, he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he says this. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? In other words, Peter, I, I gave you in this moment that gift of faith to step out of the boat and walk on water. And you doubted. You doubted. Why did you doubt? And again, never imagine... Jesus, when he says, and he says it often, particularly to the disciples, namely Peter, oh, you of little faith, never imagine that he does so with clenched teeth, with an angry tone, oh, you of little faith. No. 
I believe it was with a compassion and even a pity. Why is your faith so little? Why is your faith so small? You have a big God who can give you big faith to trust in your big God for big things. Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? Well, let's move on to the next gift. It's the fourth gift on Paul's list. It's the gift of healings. And with this gift, you can either be on the giving end of it or on the receiving end of it as well. Uh, but there's a problem with this particular gift, and talk about a controversy with this particular gift, as we'll talk about in a moment. Um, this gift is not always present. Uh, we see numerous examples of this gift being used in Scripture, uh, namely with the apostles. And by way of one example, Paul had this gift on occasion, but couldn't use it when it came to Timothy, or even his own thorn in the flesh, which he prayed for, and I'm sure had faith to be healed, and God just deemed it fit to not heal him. Adam Clark, I think, says it best. He says, the power which at particular times the apostles received from the Holy Spirit to cure diseases was a power which was not always resident in them. For Paul could not cure Timothy nor remove his own thorn in the flesh. And here's why. Because it was given only on extraordinary occasions, though perhaps more generally than many others. In other words, we, we don't have unfettered access to this gift as we do the gift of wisdom. James writes, if any of you asks, God will give you wisdom and he'll give it liberally. He will not withhold. He won't be stingy when he gives you the wisdom. And the only reason you don't have the wisdom is because you don't ask for the wisdom. And when you ask, don't doubt, because then you'll be double-minded, tossed to and fro, back and forth, wishy-washy. Well, the gift of healings and the aforementioned gift of faith work together with this fifth gift on Paul's list, which is the gift of the working of miracles. Now, I've never seen this gift in my Christian walk of over 30 years. Uh, this is another one of those gifts, uh, very interesting, uh, very controversial. Uh, contrary to what you see on TV, uh, that is not the gift of faith, healing. It's not the gift of the working of miracles. It is a fraud. It is false. It is show. It's for the money. That's pure and simple. These are charlatans. These are false teachers. These are false prophets. I don't e even want to be anywhere near any of them when they have to give an account before God. Um, as one has so aptly pointed out, and think about this, if that was real and they did have the gift of faith, healing, and the working of miracles, then why don't these buggers, <laughs> forgive me, 
why don't they go to the hospitals and use that gift? Genuinely heal people and put the hospitals out of business and put Obamacare out of business. I couldn't resist. It's a gift. It's a gift. One day, soon and very soon, there will be no hospitals. <laughs> there will be no health care. There will be no sickness. And there will be no disease. And I can't wait. And I know you can't either. An example of the gift of working of miracles is found in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. We read it, in Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith, that's the gift of faith, to be healed, that's the gift of healing. On the Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. That is the gift of the working of miracles. That's all three wrapped up into one example in Scripture. This sixth gift on Paul's list is the gift of prophecy. Now, we looked at this a little bit last week when we connected 1 Corinthians 12 to the list in Romans 12. Uh, simply put, the gift of prophecy is the speaking forth of God's Word, again, in a specific situation. And sometimes this gift will come by way of the foretelling of the future, something yet future. Uh, the best example of this gift, especially as it relates to the foretelling of that which is yet future, is found in the book of Acts, and it concerns Paul who desired to go to Jerusalem. And they, they begged with him, they pleaded him, they cried, please don't go. Well, Luke writes in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, that after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, this is the gift of prophecy. In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And this is exactly what happened upon Paul's arrival in Jerusalem. And by the way, this is how you know a prophecy has been fulfilled. <laughs> and that it was a genuine word of prophecy. It's fulfilled. <laughs> How do you know if a prophecy is true or not? If it's fulfilled. I know that's deeply profound, but let me flip it over. How do you know if a prophecy is not a true prophecy? It's not fulfilled. That's a false prophet. And you know what they did with false prophets? Quite a deterrent in the Old Testament. They killed them. Yeah, that would make you think twice before speaking forth a prophetic word, because if you're not speaking forth a true and genuine prophecy, uh, they will stone you to death. I think we need to bring that back in this uh, last day in which we're living. <laughs> the seventh gift is the discerning of spirits, which is basically the supernatural ability to tell the difference between what is true and what is false. 
And this, again, is the most interesting gift, and for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that giving it is disproportionate to our using of it. And I'll explain what I mean by that. God desires to give this gift of the discernment of spirits to each and every one of us. And for what I think would be deemed obvious reasons. But here's the problem. We don't receive it. We don't receive it. We don't use it. And we certainly don't use it proportionate to God's desire of giving it to us. The Apostle John exhorts us concerning this gift in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's a litmus test. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Let me, by way of uh, illustration, give you a um, practical example of how this gift of the discernment of spirits can operate in the life of a believer today. Uh, let's talk about Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. We need to have discernment because <clears throat> the common denominator between Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses is they do not believe Jesus is God. He's Savior. He's Redeemer. He's Lord. But He's not God. And they just failed the test. If Jesus is not God, then you're a cult. If John 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. The Word was God. And they've completely rewritten that. That's another group I don't want to be anywhere near <laughs> when they have to give an account for adding to and changing God's Holy Word. But that's a litmus test. And that's how you can know whether or not and discern whether or not they are true Christians. They are not true Christians. They are not true Christians. They are false. They are deceived. If Jesus is not God, you are not a Christian. And we need to have the discernment of spirits to be able to discern that and make that distinction. Okay, this brings us to the eighth and ninth gift. I know that you guys have no interest in knowing about the gift of tongues and the gift of the interpretation of tongues, so we're just going to close in prayer. I'm just kidding. Of course we do. <laughs> we, is this not... I mean, talk about saving the best for last. Um, please don't stone me to death. I'm not going to tackle this touchy topic today, and you'll forgive me. Uh, and the reason... <laughs> don't look at me like that. <laughs> I, I think... And here's why. And, and, and hear me out. Um, I want to devote adequate time to this. And so, Lord willing, next week, I want to uh, talk about this most controversial gift, the gift of uh, speaking in tongues, the gift of tongues, and the gift of the companion gift, again, of the interpretation of tongues. 
Uh, I'll bring it to an abrupt close, but I'll do so by sharing with you my own experience concerning the gift of tongues along with the gift of the interpretation of tongues. I know I've shared before how that for many years in my Christian walk, I thought that this gift as well as all the gifts were not for Christians today. And I, I, had, I was taught and, and believed that the gifts had ceased, a false doctrine known as cessationism, where the gifts have ceased, that the gifts are not for today, they were just for them then, they're not for us now, and nothing could be further from the truth. By the way, getting back to the three times that Paul says not to be ignorant concerning Israel, the rapture, and the Holy Spirit, think about this. The common denominator between all three are not all three major truths with profound implications in the life of a believer? And is not the enemy a thief who desires to steal and destroy? And would not the enemy desire nothing more than to steal from us the truth of the rapture? <laughs> Could you imagine waking up every day in this world that waxes more evil by the day, being confused and ignorant about the rapture? How do, how do people even make it through the day? I mean, the, the truth, the fact that the rapture can happen at any time, that not only gets me out of bed to face the day, that gets me through the day and enables me at the end of the day to actually sleep at night knowing that, <laughs> you know, when the rapture happens, uh, somewhere in the world, it's going to happen when people are sleeping. Right? So think about that tonight. <laughs> we, we can redo that, that famous prayer, which is not really scriptural, by the way. Lord, if in the night, you know, my soul to keep, actually you should pray my soul to take in the rapture. Hey, Lord, if you want to rapture us tonight while I'm sleeping, so I wake up in your presence, fine by me. <laughs> fine by me. It could happen. It could happen. And, but the enemy wants to rob us of that blessed hope. And the same thing with Israel. If Christians are ignorant about Israel, ignorant about the rapture, ignorant about the Holy Spirit, you've got them. Basically, they become impotent, confused, carnal Christians. I could probably add a few more words to that, but I'll let you fill in those blanks as well. Well, let me share with you my experience. I was at a Calvary Chapel Senior Pastors Conference in California a number of years ago. And I had been praying prior, because I've seen this gift abused. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen counterfeits of it. And keep in mind, Satan can counterfeit tongues, and he does. Uh, in fact, we talked about this, I think it was last week, on the heels of the uh, Islamic State terrorist attacks in Paris, the band that was playing uh, in that concert hall. Uh, one of the songs, the, the titles to one of the songs of uh, the band's name, which was uh, something like Death Metal 
death, hell, something. It was just something dark like that. I already forgot their name. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, but one of the titles to one of their songs was Speaking in Tongues. Now, where do you think they get that? It was many years ago I heard of a concert where at the end there was an altar call and they came forward for the laying on of hands and the speaking of tongues. I promise you those are satanic tongues because Satan can counterfeit tongues. Well, anyway, I'd seen counterfeits. And my past experience had had undue influence, just like Paul had said uh, in the beginning of the chapter. So I had prayed, Lord, I, I want to see this gift manifested. And I had been praying for this for so long, and I wanted to see tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So here we are. We usually have our afterglows, our meetings, where we wait on the Holy Spirit on Wednesday night during the week of the conference. And uh, as we're worshiping, and the worship was just so glorious, and we're just waiting on the Lord, and then a, a pastor stood up and began to speak in a heavenly language that is indescribable. It's the most beautiful Thing you'll ever hear. I had never heard anything like this in my life. He was speaking in tongues. And Damien Kyle, who's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Modesto, my favorite all-time Bible teacher of all time, was leading our time. And after this pastor had spoken tongues, he just softly and quietly asked, uh, now we need the interpretation of that tongue. And within a matter of seconds, another pastor stood up and interpreted the tongue. And I just started weeping. It was so beautiful. The words praising and glorifying and magnifying God. I was just ruined. I was just ruined, and I was thanking God for finally answering this prayer. I needed this. I needed to see this gift. And I saw this gift, and it just changed me. I was never the same after it again. <laughs> the only way I can even come close to describing it is that you were in the presence of the Lord. It was just a taste of what it's going to be like. When we're worshiping him before the throne, it's just going to be indescribable, magnificent, beyond anything we could ever imagine. When we're there before him, praising and worshiping him. Oh, I talk about walking on water. I was walking on air after that meeting, you know, back to the hotel room, and I'm just praising the Lord, and just time was, you know, you lose track of time. You're, you're, you're touching eternity, and you're touching God in eternity. And so, wouldn't it stand to reason that Satan would want to rob a believer of something like this? Of course. Of course. Satan hates it when we worship the Lord. Satan hates it when we magnify and glorify the Lord. Well, that's next week. So you'll have to come back next week for, <laughs> for the rest of the story, as they say. Would you pray with me? <laughs> Lord, thank you so much. Oh, Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray for anyone in this church that I have the privilege to pastor that has never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, had the Holy Spirit come upon them, I pray that they would just ask today and that you would baptize them today in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. I think next week I'll share a little bit more, but when we get into our new building, I am uh, desiring nothing more than for us to have believers' meetings where we just wait on the Lord and the gifts of the Spirit can be manifested for the edification of the body. A gift of the speaking in tongues, the gift of the interpretation of tongues, the gift of wisdom, the gift of prophecy. Someone will be given the gift to speak a prophetic word. I think we're finally at a place now as a church, and I've been in anticipation of of, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, waiting for this time, and I think it is a word fitly spoken. But again, that's next week, so you'll have to come next week. Hey, everybody. I feel like I need to make this video now, even though it's not part of the series that I've been doing. We really may be in the season right now, and I want to show more proof of that by going over the 70 years in Jeremiah and the riddle of the seven kings, because there's a strong possibility that the 70 years may actually refer to 1945 to 2015. Okay, so in the book of Jeremiah, we're given two different 70-year periods. One of those 70-year periods ended at Daniel, and the other 70-year period ends at the meteorite that destroys the beast. So in Jeremiah 29, the Lord says, After 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And then after that, sometime later, it doesn't say how long, but after that it says, I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Okay, so it tells us that Jeremiah wrote this in the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar. We know this was Nebuchadnezzar II because this is the start of Daniel's timeline and we already mapped this. So it says in Jeremiah 29 that 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar takes captives into Babylon, they will call upon the Lord and pray to the Lord and the Lord will hearken to them. So 70 years after that, Daniel did exactly that. He said in Daniel 9, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And then it says that he started praying and repenting and making confession and talking about how Israel are far off through all the countries. They haven't come back. And so he's saying that the 70 years have passed and the people of Israel have not come back. And he says in verse 16, let thy fury be turned away from Jerusalem. Then in verse 21, Gabriel comes to him and gives him the prophecy of 70 weeks which is different. We all know that. We're not going to go into that in this video. So basically, Jeremiah was told in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar 
which is believed to be around 605 BC, that after 70 years, his people would pray and they would be answered. And that's exactly what happened. So 70 years after that, Daniel prayed and received an answer from Gabriel. So Daniel says this occurred in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. So somewhere around 535 BC. So that was the first fulfillment of Jeremiah's 70 years. And that's the 70 years mentioned in Jeremiah 29. After 70 years, you will pray and I will answer you. Right after that, Cyrus invaded Babylon, which began the second stage of the beast, the first Persian Empire. But there's a second 70-year period in the book of Jeremiah that has not been fulfilled yet. In Jeremiah 25, starting in verse 10, and this is just excerpts, you can pause to read it if you want, but it says basically, I will take the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years, and when 70 years are accomplished, I will punish the king of Babylon. Then notice it says, take the wine cup of this fury and cause all to drink it. Tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth. A great whirlwind shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth, and the slain shall be at that day from one end of the earth unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be buried, they shall be dung upon the ground. So it doesn't specify when this 70-year period starts. But it says the nations around Judah will serve Babylon during this 70-year period. And at the end of the 70 years, Babylon will be punished. The bride and bridegroom will be taken. It mentions the sound of the millstone. And it says the slain will lie over the whole earth at that event. It says they will drink the wine cup of fury and tread the grapes. So anybody who has studied Bible prophecy will know immediately that that is not referring to ancient Babylon. It's referring to the destruction of Babylon the Great before Christ returns. So while the first 70 years of Jeremiah were fulfilled during the time of Daniel when the first Persian Empire defeated Babylon, the second 70 years of Jeremiah end at the defeating of Babylon after it has spread to the whole earth. And this event is mentioned from Revelation chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 primarily. So Revelation 14 says Babylon will fall at the hour of judgment, and at that time all nations will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, and there will be fire and brimstone at that time. And then it says, One sat like unto the Son of Man, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So it's talking about the harvest. Gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And then Revelation 16 tells us this occurs when the seventh vial of plagues is poured out. At that time there will be voices, thunders, lightnings, and a great earthquake. Great Babylon came into remembrance and given the cup of the wine of the fierceness of the wrath, and every island will flee away and the mountains will not be found. And there will fall upon men great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. So this is no ordinary hail storm. A talent is a measurement of weight that is equivalent to anywhere from 60 to 130 pounds. So it's telling us here that a plague of hail is coming and each 
hailstone. Each individual hailstone is going to weigh 60 to 130 pounds. So this is not a weather phenomenon. These are rocks that are falling. This is a meteorite impact. And Revelation 18 confirms that when it says, In one hour Babylon will be made desolate. A mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down. The light of the candle shall shine no more, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. So Revelation is giving us more details about the fall of Babylon. It's confirming that it refers to the fall of Babylon that Jeremiah talks about when the slain will lie unburied over the whole earth. It's when the bride and bridegroom will be taken away at the sound of the millstone. And although it was translated the sound of the millstones, we know that it's referring to the millstone thrown down from heaven because it says that the sound is a noise that will come even to the ends of the earth. That's in verse 31. So that's saying the bride and the bridegroom will be taken away at the sound of the millstone, and that will occur in one hour. At that time, Babylon will drink the wine cup of fury, which we're told is the wrath of God, when fire and brimstone rains down from heaven, when they will tread the grapes or cast them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. We're told there will be a great earthquake, great hail, and the islands will flee away when that great millstone hits the sea. In other words, giant tsunamis that will completely cover the islands. The islands will be gone. So it's it's really clear that the second 70-year period in the book of Jeremiah is going to end at the destruction of Babylon the Great in the future. We know this is a future event and not a past event because the book of Revelation explains how Babylon the Great fits into the detailed timeline. In Revelation 17, we're told Babylon the Great sits upon the beast with seven heads and ten horns. We've already covered this in detail. The book of Daniel gave us accurate details about events spanning roughly 2,500 years. And what we're looking at here is how the actual fulfillments have occurred so far, aside from the burning stone, the gathering of the elect, the final three and a half years, and the end of sins altogether. So to make this easier to understand for people that know Bible prophecy, we're just we're going to look at this in Bible terms right now. And this is really important because the book of Revelation is about to give us an indication of when Jeremiah's 70 years start. But it's a riddle that, as far as I know, no one has solved. So it says in verse 7, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her. So it's talking about Babylon the Great and the beast with seven heads and ten horns that Babylon sits on. It says, the beast that you saw, in other words, the beast with seven heads and ten horns in verse 3. So it says, the beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Okay, so before we look at this, let's just, so we're all on the same page, that bottomless pit is mentioned in Revelation 9, and it's talking about the fifth trumpet. But I just have to say this too. The trumpets and vials of wrath occur simultaneously. I have a video on this in the playlist link below, so I don't have time to explain it in this video, that they are simultaneous and they occur in literally one hour. The reason they're separated in the text is the vials of wrath refer specifically to what happens to Babylon. But the trumpets occur at the same time, just in a different place on the earth. 
So again, the Bible says that all seven of the vials are poured out in literally one hour. And that means the trumpets also occur in literally one hour because they match. The trumpets and the vials match. So at this point, it really doesn't matter if it's the fifth trumpet or the seventh trumpet or the fifth vial or the seventh vial because all seven occur in one literal hour. So that's a mystery that not everybody understands. You have to first understand it's talking about a meteorite and then it makes sense. So Revelation 9 says, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven into the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as a smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. This connects back to the timeline we were given. So Jesus said, After the tribulation of the days, the stars will fall, and the sun and moon will go dark. And Revelation 9 tells us the sun goes dark specifically because of the star that falls from heaven and opens the pit. So it's not just a star, but a burning stone. I just can't believe that that more Christians are not aware of it because it is is so clear in the text. So now it tells us the beast with seven heads and ten horns will ascend out of the bottomless pit. So that means the beast is going to ascend after the star or burning stone hits the earth. And that makes sense because we're told the beast will be allowed to continue for 42 months after that stone hits. We know the final time of trouble starts after the tribulation of 1260 days or years. And Revelation 17 says after the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit, it will go into perdition. So it it does gain power after the meteorite hits, but it will only survive for three and a half years afterward. That's what we're told, because 42 months equals three and a half years. Okay, then it says the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and there are seven kings. Okay, so the seven heads of the beast represent both seven mountains and seven kings. We know the seven mountains are the seven continents on the planet because the beast with seven heads and ten horns is the fourth beast mentioned in the book of Daniel. And Daniel tells us this fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will devour the whole earth. So the fourth beast rules over the whole earth and Babylon the Great sits on that fourth beast. That means Babylon sits on the whole earth, all seven continents. So the seven mountains that Babylon sits on are the seven continents. Okay, so that tells us where Babylon sits, but the next verse tells us when the meteorite hits, but it's written as a riddle. And like I said, I don't know of anybody else who's who's solved this riddle. So it says, there are seven kings... Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. Okay, so in order to find the correct answer to this riddle, it's absolutely necessary to solve the timeline in Daniel. And like I said before, I don't know of anybody else who's figured this out. I I don't know. Maybe there is somebody out there. I don't know who it is. But the first part of the riddle tells us there are seven kings. Daniel told us the word king can also refer to the corresponding kingdom. 
So this can also represent seven kingdoms that are also heads of the beast. Daniel told us four of those heads were the heads of the leopard. So if we add the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, and the Roman Empire, we have a total of seven kingdoms. But it says five have fallen, one is, the other is not yet come, and when he comes he will continue a short space. And the beast is the eighth, but is of the seven. So the five that have fallen are the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the whole Greek Empire, the Western Roman Empire, and the Eastern Roman Empire. That would mean the one that is represents the Holy Roman Empire. And the one that had not yet come at the time of the Holy Roman Empire was the United Nations. Well, like I said, most Christians don't think that. Many scholars, if not most, believe that the one that is refers to the Roman Empire and the one that shall come is the Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire. But that cannot be the case. And and I thought this too three years ago. You might find some old videos that I had, but please, you know, disregard that because that's not what it is. The Turkish Empire lasted a very long time. So it cannot be the one that shall come because it says the one that shall come shall continue a short space. So it can't be the, the Turkish Empire that lasted a very long time. The Roman Empire was a very, very long reign. And even the individual sections of the Roman Empire, the Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, and the Holy Roman Empire were all very long empires. So none of them would qualify as the king that has not yet come. The only one that qualifies is the UN, the United Nations, which rose in its first state as the League of Nations in 1920. It's the king of fierce countenance, the one that destroys by peace. And by the way, they created the little horn. So it's it, things did not play out exactly the way people thought it would. It's just slightly different. The king of fierce countenance is not the little horn, and it doesn't say that in Daniel 8. It was an implication, but it doesn't say that. So what ended up happening was the king of fierce countenance created the little horn, okay? So this means that the one that is must refer to the Holy Roman Empire. It does not say that the king that is is the kingdom that was ruling while John was writing the book of Revelation. I know a lot of Christians think that's what it means, but it doesn't say that. It just says the one that is. And right before that, it tells us the beast that was, is not, yet is. So first we need to understand that because it's talking about the Holy Roman Empire there. The Holy Roman Empire was dissolved in 1806 by Emperor Francis. But the book of Daniel and Revelation tell us that the seventh head of the beast will be wounded as though it's dead, but then the wounded head will be healed. And again, the head represents a kingdom, and that kingdom was the Holy Roman Empire, which was the seventh head, which was wounded and came back to life. The Vatican was restored in 1929. So that's how we know that the one that is refers to the Holy Roman Empire. It was the wounded head. 
Okay, so let's go over this again, because I really want people to understand that this really could happen now, literally any day, because we are literally right in the thick of it right now. Okay, so there are seven kings who represent the seven heads of the beast, the four heads of the leopard, plus Babylon, Persia, and Rome. But you have to look at this a different way to find the five that have fallen. The five that had fallen were Babylon, Persia, Greece, the Western Roman Empire, and the Eastern Roman Empire. The one that is represents the Holy Roman Empire, and the one that has not yet come was the United Nations, the World Empire. And it says, and when he comes, he shall continue a short space. So the UN, it's saying, will continue only a short time. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven. So first of all, it tells us the beast that was and is not is the beast with seven heads and ten horns. So it's the whole beast. And we're told that Babylon represents the mouth of that beast and Persia represents the feet of that beast. So the four heads of the leopard combined with three Roman kingdoms equals seven heads of the beast and the UN is the eighth king. So again, you have to look at this three different ways in order to solve the riddle. It's not meant and it was never meant to be understood by the wicked. That's why none of the wolves in sheep's clothing ever figured it out. The riddle is solved. No one knows it, but it is solved. And the standard Christian doctrine about these seven kings is false. It's not even logically valid. The eighth king is the United Nations, and it is the beast that will go into perdition that will only continue for a short space. Okay, and as far as the ten horns, there are others who found the ten horns decades ago. The ten sections of the world that the UN has appointed, those were the ten horns. They also represent the ten toes, so they don't come up until the end. And they're here now. They were appointed in the 70s. But notice verse 12 says the ten kings will only have power for one hour. The hour of judgment is when the meteorite hits. So this may be telling us, and I mean this is just speculation, but it may be telling us that the ten kings will gain their power along with the beast at that impact and that their power will only last during the chaos of that meteorite. But we are told they're the ones that will burn Babylon. And Zechariah tells us that the burning is caused by the nuclear missiles that are in their land. So it sounds like meltdown, but we can't be sure. But we already know who the ten kings are, and the seven heads represent both the seven kings and the seven mountains. And the mountains are the seven continents where both the UN has devoured the whole earth and where Babylon sits. So I hope you're following me here because this is huge and it points to 2015 in a huge way. Jeremiah says Babylon will be destroyed at the end of 70 years, and Revelation tells us Babylon sits on the beast with ten horns. Again, the ten horns did not arise until the feet. In other words, the ten horns did not arise until the eighth king, which is the UN. So that means that Babylon was not sitting on the beast with ten horns until the beast with ten horns was created. 
In other words, the nations that will serve Babylon in the end for 70 years will be serving Babylon that sits on the beast with 10 horns and that beast did not arise until 1945. The UN was created in 1945 and 70 years from 1945 is 2015. So again, Jeremiah says the nations around Judah, which by the way, that's where the little horn is. The king of the north came in and took over that land at the end of the Ottoman Empire, just as it said in the book of Daniel. That Ottoman Empire was the Turkish Empire. It was that fourth head of the leopard. And Daniel said, in the latter time of their kingdom, a king of fierce countenance will rise up in the latter time and destroy by peace. That was the League of Nations that rose up in 1920 at the very end of that Ottoman Empire. That king of the north took over the land around Jerusalem that was under Ottoman rule. They came in, they took over, and that was specifically Russia, France, and England. They came in and took over that region. Israel was international territory. Then two men, from one from France, one from Britain, created. They actually originated the United Nations in the very beginning. So it was, it was literally someone from France and Britain that created the United Nations. And in 1945, when the United Nations was created, three years later, they made that international territory there around Jerusalem, turned that into the country of Israel. And that's the little horn. Okay, and everybody's worshiping it right now. They have no idea what they're doing. That's why I'm trying to tell people. There's a reason why Jesus said those claiming to be Jews are not Jews. And this is not an attack on any Jews. This isn't about Jews. This is about the country of Israel that was created by France and Britain. There's a lot of Jews out there that know the truth. This has nothing to do with that. This has to do with the United Nations. They created the country of Israel. It is not the true Israel in the Bible, okay? So I'm not attacking anybody here, but you've got to realize if you're worshiping Israel, you're worshiping the beast, you're worshiping the UN, you're not worshiping God.